Salutations, everyone, and welcome to the What Are Poems podcast, the only poetry podcast not seeped in pretension. Today I was thinking about how uh, when I was in my early 20s, and I was kind of this, uh, I was kind of this douchebag who uh, wore jeans and uh, t-shirts I'd find, and a little hat, and I would, uh, I'd pass the horticultural society in, uh, Philadelphia, and sometimes I would say, uh, I'm into horticulture, I like horticulture, and, uh, people would say, really? And I'd say, oh yeah, I, 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 I fucking love it, you know? And the whole time this was going on, I thought horticulture was like, there was these dudes that were like Dr. Frankenstein, and they were, uh, they were making bananas, like, uh, fuck oranges, and they were, uh, seducing apples into the, uh, into the, uh, s- into the, uh, sort life of potatoes, and we were gonna have potato apple fruit, and I think that is kind of what horticulture is. It's the art or practice of garden cultivation and management, but to me it was this whole crazy fucking thing that I was like, uh, I thought it'd be really cool to be into. And I'm not. I just I, I killed several plants just uh, just this past month during the pandemic. I was murdering plants at a rate that uh, the old me, this uh, this uh, fain horticultural loving little hat wearing man, would have been like, "My God, what the hell!" But today uh, on uh, what are poems? We're going to explore beat generation poet and renowned junkie. Herbert Hunky. Really, really, really interesting dude. So we're just going to get right into it right now. And uh, we'll hear some of his poetry and we'll hear about his exciting and very interesting life. Herbert Edwin Hunky, born uh, January 9th, 1915, was an American writer and poet and active participant in a number of emerging cultural, social, and aesthetic movements of the 20th century in America. He was a member of the Beat Generation and is, repute, and is reputed to have coined the term. He's born in Greenfield, Massachusetts and reared in Chicago. Grows up on the mean streets of Chi-Town. He was a uh, street hustler, high school dropout, and drug user. He leaves Chicago as a teenager after his parents' divorce and just starts living as a hobo just straight up. Jumping trains throughout the United States and he's bonding with other vagrants, sharing cans of beans... And uh, telling stories and uh, just living that life. Like the bad guy in Dennis the Menace, the movie with the, with the kid that was in the Rushmore movie. What was that kid's name? He was good in like everything, that little kid. Look him up later, see what he's up to. Uh, Hunky hitchhikes to uh, New York City in 1939. And he's dropped off at 103rd and Broadway, which I don't really know New York City. But I know Broadway's, uh, you know, on Broadway. You know, it's happening down there. And he asked the driver who drops him off, how do I find 42nd Street? And uh, the driver says, you walk straight down Broadway, and uh, you'll find 42nd Street there, Hunky. So Hunky, always a stylish dresser, he buys a boutonniere for his jacket, and he heads for 42nd Street. Then for the next 10 years, he just stays there and uh, becomes a 42nd Street regular and becomes known as the mayor of 42nd Street. At this point, Hunky's regular haunts for 42nd Street and Times Square were associated with a variety of people, including prostitutes, both male and female, and sailors. 
During World War II, Hunky shipped out to sea as a United States merchant marine to ports in South America, Africa, and Europe. He landed on the beach of Normandy three days after the invasion. So Hunky shows up to a sea of bodies, probably smokes some cigarettes, scores some morphine, like he was doing the whole time aboard these uh, merchant ships. And uh, the morphine is supplied by the ship's medics. And he's probably getting it just doing, it, doing the hunky thing. He said, I need a little morphine, man. He returns to New York City. And he returns to 42nd Street. And it was after one such trip where he met the then-unknown William S. Burroughs, known freak and fellow boot, who was selling a submachine gun and a box of morphine. Their first meeting was not cordial. From Burroughs' appearance and, man and manner, Hunky suspected that he was heat or the undercover FBI. Assured that Burroughs was harmless, Hunky bought the morphine, and at Burroughs' request, immediately gave him an injection. Burroughs later wrote a fictionalized account of the meeting in his first novel, Junkie. Hunky also became a, became a close friend of Joan Adams Volmer Burroughs, well, uh, Burroughs' common-law wife, sharing with her a taste for anti uh, amphetamines. Boy, I, I'm losing my ability to speak. In the late 1940s, he was invited to Texas to grow marijuana on the Burroughs' farm. It was here he renewed his acquaintance with a young Abe Green, a fellow train jumper, and much later on in the early beatnik scene, a regular reciter of his own enigmatic brand of spontaneous poetry. Despite his comparative youth, Green was often referred to by Hunky as Old Faithful. Hunky valued loyalty, and it's thought that Abe Green was of an, of an, of an inestimable assistance to Lucian Carr and Jack Kerouac when it came to the concealment of a weapon used to kill David Kramer some years later. This is the whole uh, kill your darlings thing where basically Lucian Carr and Jack Kerouac kill a guy and get rid of the body. And everyone gets off scot-free because the guy's kind of an asshole and a predator. And I guess because it, uh, Hunky had Abe Green on the case, you know. During the late 1940s, Hunky was recruited to be a subject in Alfred Kinsey's research of sexual habits of the American male. He was interviewed by Kinsey and recruited fellow addicts and friends to participate. Hunky had been a writer unpublished since his days in Chicago and gravitated toward literary, literary types and musicians. In the music world, Hunky visited all the jazz clubs and associated with Billie Holiday, Charlie Parker, and Dexter Gordon. Check out Dexter Gordon Cheesecake if you want to hear a good jazz song. With whom he was once busted on 42nd Street for breaking into a parked car, him and Dexter Gordon. Trying to get a few bucks out of a, out of a car. When he first met Allen Ginsberg, Jack Kerouac, and William Burroughs, they were interested in writing and also unpublished. They were inspired by his stories of 42nd Street life, criminal life, street slang, and his vast experience with drugs. Hunky himself was a natural storyteller, a unique character with an honest take on life. Later, after the formation of the so-called Beat Generation, members of the Beats encouraged Hunky to publish his own notebook writings, which he did with limited success in 1964. Hunky used the word beat to describe someone living with no money and few prospects. Beat to my socks, he said. Hunky coins the phrase in a conversation with Jack Kerouac, who was interested in how their generation would be remembered. I'm beat, was Hunky's reply, meaning beat to his socks. Kerouac would later say that uh, beat was derived from beautification to be, to be supremely happy. However, it is thought that the definition was a defense of the beat way of life, which was frowned upon and offended Many American sensibilities. Hunky died in 1996 at age 81. He was living for several years in a garden apartment on East 7th Street near Avenue D in New York City, supported financially by his friends. In his last few years, he lived in the Chelsea Hotel, where his rent came from financial support from Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead, whom Hunky never met. 
So without further ado, here's a hunky poem read by Hunky. I found a clip of Hunky reading it, so. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Herbert Hunky. You have things uh, that mean something to me. And blah, blah. Two for one. The clear, deep brown eyes, bruised, sunken, surrounded and sad in abused, hurt flesh. Reflecting bewildered confusion, seeing fleeting love here as always in the other, only to be denied. No amused sparkle of where it is near ended, at long last, overdone, finished. Softly, barely beneath the surface, whispered apology for rotted teeth, the promise of complete replacement, first financial opportunity. <laughs> People were laughing at it there at the end. Uh, pretty good. Hunky was pretty old there. He looked like a skeleton, which you know I'm into. I'm all about skin and bones, skin and bones. Uh, yeah, the hunkster, man. Good stuff. Okay, we'll return with my poem, which is called Someone's Got to Do That, and I'll tell you why I wrote it and what's going on there. Okay, we'll be back after these messages. You know, the internet uh, is a wormhole. Uh, I was looking up who that kid was from Dennis the Menace. His name was Mason Gamble. And uh, his last credit is an episode of CSI Miami. So I was looking up CSI Miami then to uh, try to remember who was the star of that, the redheaded guy. Then it was David Caruso. So then I look up David Caruso, and the first thing that comes up is uh, the top ten moments in David Caruso's career. Number 10, him being a ginger. And number 5, being him exposing his ass on national television. And I was just like stunned, kind of. I was surprised. You know, how, how endless the internet is. But uh, Mason Gamble, our buddy from Dennis the Menace and uh, Rushmore, he was, uh, he's got a doctoral in uh, environmental science from UCLA. So he's doing fine. So I wrote this poem the other night <clears throat> called uh, Someone's Got to Do That. And uh, it's based on, because uh, I was talking to this guy, and he uh, sold jewelry as a side hustle. And he said to me, after telling me the whole story, how he'd sell it, where he'd get it, he said, uh, you know, someone has to do that. So uh, that's what this poem's about. There are men who fire t-shirts out of high-powered cannons. At double-A baseball games, and someone's got to do that. There are men who stand over hot grease fires and fry chicken until the skin is crispy, and someone's got to do that. There are men who go door-to-door -door with pamphlets that tell you abortion is wrong and voting for so-and-so will send you to hell, and everything is horrible, and it always has been, and someone's got to do that. There are fellas who sell Dippin' Dots, the ice cream of the future, and men who con you in games of chance at county fairs or Bible fairs or book fairs. Any kind of fair where things 
don't have to be fair, and someone's got to do that, right? I mean, what would life be without occasionally losing $15 to a man with a rat tail and two missing teeth clad in denim, his wife's name, Ruth Ann? That's my poem, Someone's Got to Do That. Don't forget you can submit your own poems to the podcast at whatarepoemspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, peace and love, peace and love, beef jerky.